Thanks, Catherine. <coughs> Happy New Year. Um, it's good to see uh, those that are here. We heard there's obviously people away and lots of plans have been changed by COVID. So um, well done. You made it. It's good to see you. Um, let me pray. Father, we pray that as we look at your word this afternoon, we'd hear exactly what you have to say to us. Father, as we start this new year, we pray that we'd be a people that listen to what you have to say. Amen. Well, there I was, stooping down to roll up my red socks over my knees on a cold, bitterly cold morning, making my debut for Bulldog Town Youth Football Club. I was nervous, but the realisation was suddenly sinking in. We were playing Western, the black and white of Western against the red of Bulldog Town, and all of the boys in the school that I'd just joined played for one of two teams. I'd gone to upper sixth, I was 17 years old, and this was a really big deal for me at the time, small-time football. There we were, looking at each other across the pitch as we were about to kick off, and it was that moment it dawned on me. This was big. We were enemies. We were arch-rivals. The boys that I'd been um, rubbing shoulders with in the... um, in the school, the boys that had been in my PE class, Lewis Woodley, my good mate that we coached together, the year eights, in the time around this big fixture, it was horrendous. Because we were arch rivals, it became very clear very quickly in the football match. It was not pretty, it was messy, it was dirty, because there was real hatred. We were arch rivals, and around those days, those um, fixtures. In the school, it was, it was carnage because there had to be separation because it, it really did get quite emotive. We were in the same PE class and we had to move where we sat. It was, it was real issues. There was real tension. There had to be real separation because that rivalry, it ran deep. That hatred meant we had to stay separated. And I don't know if you noticed, as we read through this passage that we're looking at this afternoon, that's how Paul describes the state of people's relationship with God. Alienated, separated, enemies in their minds. Now, maybe you're sat in the room this afternoon thinking, what a place to start the new year. Why Why dwell here? If I trust in Jesus... Why begin here? Why would we begin a new year at Town Church looking at these words? Well, hopefully you picked up in the rest of the passage, Paul's writing a reminder to a church that trusts Jesus. He's writing a reminder for the purpose that they'd see just how important Jesus is. We spent the last month doing just that, haven't we, in the lead up to Christmas, looking at Jesus, looking at why he came, being reminded as we look at God's word together, as we sing together, the importance of Jesus coming to earth. But as we begin this new year, it's so natural, isn't it, to to do all sorts of things as you start a new year. Maybe you've got a few plans, you've got some goals, maybe you've turned over a new leaf in some area. Maybe you've set out targets or goals, things you'd like to do or see, some places that you'd like to go or 
things that you'd like to achieve at work, a project at home, the sports club, an activity, something that you want to get stuck into that you want to achieve in. Or, or it might even be that you've done that with your Christian life. You've thought, I'd love to get through these books, or I'd, I'd love to nail this discipline. And they're all great things, and New Year's is a lovely time, isn't it, to look back and look across the whole year and, and do that kind of thing. But here's the reminder from Paul. Don't move on quickly from Jesus. If you're going to get his identity right, you've got to understand what it is that he's achieved. And in order to understand what he's achieved, you've got to first understand where you were. That's what he's saying. Look down at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. Just like the Baldock and Western players, people were alienated, separated as God's enemies. Why? We'll have a look at the verse. Because of our evil behaviour. The sin that we once loved forces us apart from God. And God, in all his goodness, he can't have that evil near him. See the word in verse 21? alienated that's what evil is evil is alien to god definition of alien is is something that doesn't belong evil doesn't belong near god it's as simple as that god wouldn't be completely good if evil belonged anywhere near him so our evil behavior it makes us enemies the things that we do and say, the things that we, the ways in which we fall short of God's perfect standard and the ways we fail to live God's way is so serious. And it, it means that people must be separated from him. Maybe you've experienced the feeling that comes with that separation. You, maybe you've seen it in friends. Maybe you've talked about what that feels like. Isolation insecurity maybe you see the the evidence of being crippled with embarrassment about some area of life maybe you, you've been ashamed or you've seen someone ashamed of the way they're living in front of some people or in the quiet of their own home maybe you're constantly afraid of the way you perform and whether you you match up to people's expectations or you can deliver on certain things Maybe you feel alone because the people that do accept you don't accept you because of who you are but because of who you try to portray. Maybe you'd never say any of those things. Maybe you've never articulated any of things. Maybe you've never heard anyone say any of those things because right now everything's going well. You're focused on your own performance. But... Deep down, or soon enough, those insecurities, they come to the fore. Those feelings are representative of the bigger problem, the alienation from God, the separation. don't know if you've seen the film The Impossible. I don't think it was on over Christmas, but you might have seen it. It's um, about a family that took vacation, holiday, um, over to Thailand 
um, uh, Christmas 2004. It's based on a true story, um, and it, it tells the story of the Bennett family in the midst of an awful tsunami. It's Boxing Day 2004, and they're at this lush resorts pool area. And Dad Henry, Mum Maria, 12-year-old Lucas, 7-year-old Thomas, 5-year-old Simon, they're just hanging out. In fact, they're kind of split off into two teams um, going to different parts of the resort. Dad Henry was with the two youngest in the pool while Maria was with Lucas doing something else. At that moment, without warning, this huge tsunami came. The rest of the film tells the story of what happened as this huge tsunami ripped right through the resort and and the whole of the coastline in Thailand and caused havoc. Families separated, people injured, people lost, buildings collapsed. It was awful. The film, it tells the story of the Bennett family of those two halves of the family got split up for days. They're lost in the carnage and the chaos, trying to find one another. The film graphically portrays the, the pure chaos on Boxing Day in the days to come. But there's this moment, this brilliant moment that the whole film's building to, this awesome cinematic moment as the two families catch, the two sides of the family catch glimpse of each other from a distance, and they run towards and brilliant music and they embrace and the moment is um, if you're the other kind of person to cry at a film is one of those moments you'd be in tears it's an epic because it's been building to that the whole way and there's been this you're not sure the whole time if they've made it who's been injured, who's died and they're reunited that emotion of being brought back that's the emotion that Paul writes with In verse 22, have a look down. But now he has reconciled you. But now he has brought you back. He's brought you back from being God's enemies, being separated from him. But it's not just a case of being reunited like in the film. Something had to be done. Have a look down. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. See, the only way is that Jesus, God's son, came into this world in real flesh, real space, real time. He took on flesh. If, if Christmas carols teach us one thing brilliantly, it's that. Jesus, God, become flesh. We sang the carol Hark the Herald quite a few times. But I wonder if these words uh, washed over you. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. See, it's saying the same thing a couple of times. We see God veiled, he's veiled, he takes on human flesh. The deity, God himself, incarnate, taking on human form. He's dwelling with man. Why? Well, The carol says, the purpose, God and sinners reconciled. Jesus came to take our place, ultimately to die. But how is it that that brings reconciliation? Look at verse 20. By making peace 
through his blood shed on the cross. See, God's anger at sin, it must be dealt with. In order to make peace, something must be done. See, Jesus died on the cross to satisfy God's anger, to make peace. He didn't die because he deserved it. He, he took on our sin. And his blood, see there in verse 20, his blood means that we can have his place because he had ours. Being reconciled is being brought back, is the, is the um, destruction of that alienation. It's God opening his welcoming arms at the cost of Jesus and his death on the cross. It's the only way that all those feelings that we talked about, isolation, insecurity, it's the only way that they can be dealt with ultimately. Jesus died so that we might have peace with God. Maybe this Christmas you were reminded again, struck, maybe for the first time, of just how serious sin is. Just how serious it is walking in darkness. Maybe you've realised that you were separated from God. Maybe you've realised how bad the consequences of sin are. Jesus' offer is to bring you back, to reconcile you to, with welcoming arms. But we first, we've got to recognise that we can't do it ourselves. Look at verse 22 again. He has reconciled you. There's nothing about what we do. He has reconciled you. We must recognise that it's his work alone when we accept what he's done for us, immediately God welcomes us back. Just like the open arms of embrace in the film, he welcomes us back. There's no more feeling of isolation, insecurity. You can have absolute confidence that you're not alienated, that God is not angry at you because of what Jesus has done. See, we get to this time of year, don't we? And it's the first week of the new year and I'm sure many of us have planned ahead, thought of all the things that we'd like to do, where we might go on holiday, what we might achieve, what we could build, what we could do. And it's great thinking about all the things that we could do this year. But, but Paul, he's really specific in writing to remind us that the biggest thing to remember and especially at the start of a new year, is something that we cannot do. Something that we could not do, but that has been done for us. See the way that sentence is worded? He has reconciled you. So we shouldn't be so fixated on what we must do. There's a danger, isn't there, that we subtly, or even very blatantly, get to this point and we go, our Christian faith now, it's, it is about what I do as a Christian. It is what, about I, what I can achieve. Don't fall into that trap as you enter 2022. But let what Christ has done for you affect all areas of life. Let that change in shape. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit is at work within the believer to 
conform them, us, to be more like Jesus. It's his work, and we do use our own effort, but it's only because of what Christ has done. Just look, Paul, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to remind them of their identity in Jesus, of how crucial he is. So he wants to say this. Jesus' work has done for you. It's complete. It's done for you. Look at verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. See, the way to continue as a Christian is to go on trusting that work. Continue in your faith, established and firm. Do not move. See, maybe you sat in the room this afternoon and this is so familiar. Christ has done it all that I know. Maybe, maybe you've believed that, trusted that recently. Maybe you've believed that for 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the room, 50 maybe. But see the reminder, Paul wants to say to those who have recognised Jesus' identity already, as the one who brings you back to God, continue. Do not move. And when you go on trusting Jesus' work is what makes you accepted by God, it, it brings real peace. Maybe you thought, New Year, fresh start, this is really exciting. Maybe I'm going to start doing this or I'm going to get this right or I'm going to turn, turn over a new leaf in this. Maybe that really excites you. Maybe, maybe it really concerns you. Maybe it's really crippling because you're worried about at what point I'm going to fail, at what hurdle I'm not going to make it. Maybe as you look ahead to 22, you, you're both kind of excited and crippled at the same time. You want to... Be, perform you want to achieve at work or at home you want to achieve something with family or all kinds of things maybe you just want to leave behind mistakes you want to get over things but you're not quite sure what that looks like but you see if you start the new year most concerned by how what you do defines you by what you do how that shapes you. Soon enough, life will become so exhausting. Life will become crippling. But Paul's reminder is, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Continue in the hope that only Jesus' work presents you right before him. Jesus' achievement alone. Have you accepted Jesus' amazing work of bringing you back to God? Are you trusting it? Will you go on trusting it? That his work alone is what will bring you right before him? Will that be the way that you start this new year? Not trying to move on, not trying to graduate from God's grace not trying to move away from the, the good news of Jesus, not trying to achieve in all sorts of areas of the Christian life, not trying to be defining yourself. The way in is the way on. Maybe you've heard that many times before. The way in is the way on. The way into the Christian life 
is the way on in the Christian life. The way in is by trusting that Jesus alone is sufficient, is able to bring you right before God. The way on is to go on trusting that Jesus alone is able, is sufficient to present you right before God. Next week we begin a series in Galatians. Only ever grace. Only ever grace as we look at at how it's only ever grace that we continue as Christians, that we get by. It's not law. It's only ever grace. But it's all we ever need every day of this year as we look ahead to all 2022 might bring, could bring, probably won't bring, definitely will bring. All the uncertainties, what we need every day is grace. Imagine, imagine constantly having the peace that comes from knowing that you've been brought back to God, that nothing you do shapes your identity. Imagine having that so securely that it doesn't, it doesn't fixate your mind on what you'll achieve in various areas. You're not constantly gripped by worrying about what people think of you as you enter a room. You've, you're just at peace. Imagine having that peace that, that doesn't constrain you, constrict you, as you think about, am I doing enough as I parent, as I'm a partner, as I'm a colleague, as I'm a brother, sister, son, daughter. Imagine being at peace. Every single place that you're desperate to grasp at significance and acceptance, being able to hang out with friends, and instead of being, able, being worried about what people think of you, just so comfortable to genuinely invest in relationships, that peace comes from knowing that our identity is found only in Christ, that he and he alone is sufficient to change us, that we have been brought back. Will that be us? Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that as we start a new year, we don't have to be worried, scared, anxious. We don't have to be grasping at all the ways we might shape our identity and performance. Lord, thank you that the good news of the Lord Jesus for us brings freedom and peace. Father, we pray that you'd help each of us to be trusting in the Lord Jesus, whose work on the cross for us brings us back to peace with you. Lord, we pray that that peace would bring peace to all areas of life, in our relationships, in the things that we do. Lord, please would we do that by trusting that the Lord Jesus' work for us is done. Amen. Well, we're going to sing of this amazing mystery, the grace and peace that is ours because of Jesus. So let's stand and sing together, grace and peace.